This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the old city of Jerusalem overlooking the Temple Mount. And please go online, especially if you're one of my dear students who watches all my classes. And don't forget to be in touch. Send me WhatsApps and say, hey, I'm watching all your classes, man. It's making a big difference. I like feedback. My language love is words, so feel free to share those words with me. And go online. If you're a regular student, then you're helping promote this on yomtovmediaclub.com yomtovmediaclub.com please go online and join the media club okay we're still not where we need to be to hire our first person which is uh, the media club's going to hire someone so please go and, uh, but we need to get to a certain amount of money or no one's going to say yes so um, sh- everyone else is volunteering if my volunteers are watching us thank you very much for all your help here we go um, I'm going to Show you a little Venn diagram. Well, it's a big Venn diagram. And what I'd like to share with you is the on this side we're gonna put the word Jewish. And on this side we're gonna put the word Jewish. Okay. Jewish and Jewish. Now, um, there's a lot of people out there who think that that the Jewish part of their, meaning their own personal self-expression as individuals, is enough, you know, with a lot of Jewish cultural overtones and stuff, you know, being like culturally Jewish and using all the right Yiddish terms at the right times, and it's like fun, you know, it's, it's cute and stuff, and you're like, you know. It's kind of bagels, locks type Judaism, and and that's the Jewish kind of Jewish people. By the way, they get very indignant if you mess with them. So anyone who I'm messing with right now, I apologize in advance for messing with you. And then you have the reaction to the Enlightenment movement, which in Judaism is called the Haskalah. That's where the original Reform came from. Um, I don't know if you know there was a, something called a Reform movement. Uh, happened about 200 years ago. They they long since disappeared. T- today's reform movement that you meet is nothing to do with them. But they were called. They took the name from the original reform movement. The reform movement was a get Jews as far away from Judaism as possible. Whereas the reform movement today is get Jews as close as possible to Judaism. So it's like they had opposite goals at the time. But the reform was was ultimately meaning they even in, uh, t- put Berlin in the sitter. Instead of the word Jerusalem, they changed the Sidur. We have Sidurs from Germany that had Berlin emplaced in front of instead of Jerusalem. That was the reform. No one ever, no, you probably never heard about that unless you studied the history of uh, the Enlightenment in its regards to Judaism. Anyway, so what happened was the Black Hattitude world was formed right then. That is where the Haredi world came from. The Haredi world, the Black Hattitude world, was created because of this movement away from Judaism. And what they did was they drew a strong line in the sand and said, we're not those guys, we're these guys. And then all they did as much like cutting the connections as possible between those two worlds and made it basically a void between those who adhere to Torah and those who have gone the other way from Torah. I mean, it's, it was such a strong line drawn between the two worlds, such a strong border never to be breached, 
that the that we even know the names of the few people who breached it. Rebbe Nachman of Breslov breached it. Uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe breached it. Rav Noach Weinberg of Asia Torah breached it. Like we like if anyone did it, we even know their names, which is ridiculous. Can you imagine knowing the names of people who actually connect Jews to each other? Like you shouldn't know their names. That should be the most natural thing in the world that Jews are completely connected. But like we actually know the names of people who led movements to breach the border so that there could be an exchange. Now, you may ask a couple of questions. Uh, why should the black hatitude world be so paranoid? So there's a couple of reasons why. And one of the reasons why is because until 200 years ago, every Jewish community, whether it was Sephardic or Ashkenazic, had an entire community of people who work for a living. You ever heard of working? Yeah? They actually work for a living, like your parents work for a living. Okay? They worked for a living. And if you work for a living, you are not going to become a giant tourist scholar, obviously, right? Frank, if you go straight to work, I mean, I'm sure you'll want to learn an H for a couple of years. But, but after that, who's going to be paying your bills? The answer is you, because you're going to have to work. Okay? So people actually worked for a living. But what happened was, one of the moves they made was this. Now, imagine you have an entire community. It could be thousands of people. It could be a region of people with, with hundreds, if not millions, of Jews. And one rabbi, one giant Torah scholar per community or per region. And then the Haskalah movement comes, the Enlightenment movement comes on the heels of the Industrial Revolution. And people come in with all these ideas about like, you know, like getting out from under the thumb of the church in the Dark Ages and coming alive with, with technology and with, and with uh, freedom of thought and stuff. And now, just parenthetically, don't forget that the Gentiles of the world have been using God as their answer for the mysteries of science. But with the advent of the scientific world where you can answer questions that had never been answerable before, what did that automatically push out? Pushed out the God answer. Because using God as a convenient answer for the mysteries of science, once you understand the laws of science, so God's out. Except Judaism has nothing to do with that when it comes to God. God is not... Some, to us, we always love science. The Rambam was a scientist. Not, the Ramban was a scientist. Nachmanich was a scientist. Rabbi Levi... Uh, what was his name? The one who wrote the Living Torah. Uh, Ari Kaplan. Ari Kaplan was a physicist. Lubavitcher Rebbe was a scientist. The Ramchal Rebbe, Moshe Chaim Lezatu, was a scientist and a playwright. To us, science, we love science because science shows us the efficacy of the Creator. We've always loved science. We like to see the details. Things matter to us on the real detailed level of even needing to know the exact lunar cycle. You know, NASA spent $5 million in five years just to find out the exact lunar cycle and wound up off by a decimal point. They would never have known it had there not been a Jew in the team. And the Jews said this is off by a decimal point, or either the Jews are off by a decimal or we're off by a decimal point. And they had to go check their math, and it turned out that they were off. NASA was off. By, by, did I say a decimal? Yeah, one, one decimal point they were off. At the end of a long number. to get the, They needed the exact lunar cycle. 
Judaism prays for for we knew that the, that the gender of a child of a fetus is only knowable on the fortieth day. Everyone's known for thousands of years in the Jewish world that if you really have had if you've had five boys and you're desperate for a girl, you can pray up to the fortieth day. Other than that, it's a prayer in vain. You're not allowed to pray in vain. For a known fact, you're not allowed to pray for. And so we were given forty days to pray, and today science corroborates. Judaism understands things of anthropology and the movement of human beings and stuff that forever we've known that the Chinese people are from North Africa in their genetic line. I mean, that sounds preposterous. How could they be from North Africa? They just don't look like Africans. But today it's been corroborated in the science of, of, of migration and in, in, the, in DNA that they are from North Africa. And you want to know something else? You know what our rabbis say when science goes beyond us and contradicts something that we were, that we knew in science, but we find out later that it's not true? What do you think we go with? What we thought or what they now know? Which one do we go with? We go with what they now know. We shift things based on science. Now, the Gentile world is, is now in the Industrial Revolution, the scientific revolution is happening. It's like, answers and answers upon answers about our mysterious world. And they got rid of God. But we never, we never took God on because we didn't understand our environment. We know God from the experience of a national prophecy at Mount Sinai. Our relationship to God is from that experience, not, not, from, not because we didn't understand our world. We love science. We embrace science. Nevertheless, 200 years ago, Jews in these communities were ignorant of law. By the, when you were 12 years old, 200 years ago, when you were 12 years old as a male, your schooling in Judaism was over. You were done. And now began your training to be a, a sandler, 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 shoemaker, or you're now going to be involved in glasswork and be called glazer. Or you were gonna, um, you were gonna trap bear and be called Berman. Just kidding. Where's Berman coming? From? <laughs> you're gonna serve beer and be called Berman. And the, you understand? You got. By the time you were at bar mitzvah, you were already in a trade. And girls were not educated at all. Girls were not educated at all. Boys got till they were 12, and girls got nothing. No education. And they were happy. I'm not against men and women getting educated after 12. I think it's a pretty good thing we get educated after 12. But we are not happier. We're yeah. not happier people as a result. And I bet you that if people were... Historically, people got married, they still do in non-developed countries. If historically, women, girls got married from 12 to 14, and boys got married between uh, 15 and, uh, sorry, 14 to 16. Uh, I bet you they were happy. And think how much more of your mental real estate would be available if you were already married. You'd be so much more powerful. Anyway, so 
what happens what happened ultimately is Jewish became the name of the game and Jewish got put aside for the black hat world what was important is that you're Jewish and who you were as an individual was no longer important and maybe even dangerous maybe individuality could be a bit dangerous because you know thinking people are dangerous to institutions thinking people are dangerous I mean think about it anyone here ever run an institution none of you people ever ran an institution well, I'll tell you something about running institutions. That the less individuality going on amongst the people in the institution, the better you sleep. The more individuality and individual voices and desires inside the institution, the less you sleep. So I don't blame leaders of institutions for wanting to amputate individuality. Because I also appreciate a good night's sleep. And this is one of the reasons why I would never run an institution, because I would never want to be in that position. I think they have a special place in hell for people who lead institutions. You know, the, isn't, isn't, this, isn't this an institution where we are right now? Yeah. Who's running it? <laughs> not you? Definitely not me. <laughs> Rabbi Schwartz? No. Um, who runs it? It's always been run by very maverick people who are willing to be toppled by the percolation of leadership below. Yeah, we've never had a very strong leadership here, which is good and bad. The good part is it doesn't have most of the, the evils of most institutions. The bad part is <laughs> we don't necessarily get anywhere because <laughs> no one's driving the ship. So, you understand? So it's like, on the one hand, like, you would love this place because it just doesn't push you down. It doesn't amputate. Like, well, you, it just creates more and more innovators, more and more innovators who spin off eventually. Like, this place breeds innovation. Breeds. I mean, there are, there are household names of organizations today that you all know and would, would be shocked to find out they've started here. Many of them. And so... But on the other hand, we're stuck in the mud because there's no one leading us anywhere. So, it's an incubator. This place is just incubation. You see, you're in a totally free program with absolutely no rules of who attends Jew, Gentile, men, women, doesn't matter who comes. You understand? It's a little open here, like a little extra open. Shockingly open. Especially when there's supposed to be a void between the black hat world and the secular world, whereas this place is like. Seems to be an open portal. Just this class. The other classes are. are yeah, the other building are only people committed to. No, learn. Even the other classes. Yeah. yeah, those are people committed to learn full time. Why is that negative? It's a positive. Oh, so you're it's not very institutional to have no rules. Also, us rabbis, us rabbis have a zero compliance standard here. You understand? Like you'd think the rabbis have to like follow some guidelines. Nope. It's open mic club every single hour. Right? You probably heard some shocking things. Yeah, wait to hear the next guy. Oh my God. Talk about no limits. 
And this guy who speaks after me, I mean, that guy missed rules when he grew up. <laughs> He's crazy. He's running a female cult. No male members except for him. I'm just kidding. He's not running a female cult. I just say that to poke at girls who are, who are drawn into his classes. Okay? Now, um... We're going to go sci-fi for a little minute here. Just a little sci-fi. I want you to imagine you're sitting in a coffee shop. I was sitting in a coffee shop just minding my own affairs. Yeah, you're sitting in a coffee shop and minding your own affairs when all of a sudden some guy walks in to the coffee shop and he walks past your table. There's no one in the coffee shop. It's just you sitting there. And he walks by you and then just goes like, turns around and looks at you and you're like, can I help you? And he's like, do you mind if I sit down? And you're like, there's a whole coffee shop available to sit down. Like, you got to sit next to me. And he's like, if you don't mind. And you're like, go ahead, sit down. And he sits across from you, and you're just like, it's really awkward. And he finally looks at you and says, your name wouldn't happen to be. And he says your name, and you're like, it is. Like, you, do I know you? Like, you don't happen to live at this and such address. I do, actually. Your social security number wouldn't happen to be... You're like, it is. And, and he's like, your email wouldn't be this, would it? No, and you don't drive this particular car with this license plate. And he's just rattling it all off, like one after the other. And he says, when you were five years old, by yourself in that park, when your parents were searching for you, and you found a gold watch, and you hid it till this very day, is this you? And you're just like, how'd you know that? And then he rattles off like ten more details of times you were alone that there's no way you could have known. And then you're finally like, who the hell are you? And he says to you, okay, I'm crazy about you. I've got this like crazy thing going on where I'm just crazy about you. And I've been waiting to meet you this whole entire time. You're like, what are you talking about? And he finally says to you, okay, you ready? I'm ready. Who are you? He says, you're actually a character in a book, and I'm the author. And you're like, get away from me! And you jump out of the chair of the cafe, you run out of the door of the cafe, forget the bill, run out of the cafe, go racing down the street as fast as you can, and there he is right behind you going, wait for me, I just want to talk to you. You know, and you're just like, Gah! and you're running this way, that way, everywhere you go, you finally spin around a turn thinking you lost him, and boom, you run right into him. You're in his book. It's not very hard to catch up to you. Boom, you run right in. Ah, you run the other way through this alley, down this road, and then bang right into him again. You run the other way, you start running, and he's chasing you, he's behind you, he's catching up. You look down the street, he's running towards you now. You go that way. And then as you're running away, you finally realize, you're getting exhausted too, you finally realize the futility of running away from the author of the book you're in. 
stories. You realize the futility of running away from the book. It's like running away from the author of the book you're in. Each one of us was born with a hook in our mouth. And God's the fisherman. I'll tell you something about fishing. My grandpa Bill taught me fishing in the, in um, the Klamath River. And what would happen is we would catch a fish. Some of these fish were big steelhead trout fish. Remember those steelhead trout? And, um, and sometimes it would fight. And the fish would fight. And when the fish would fight, you'd let out line. Which is, fishing reels have a gear and it lets out line. And it makes a little noise, kind of a wiring noise. As the fish thing, as it lets out line. Because you want to give the fish a chance to fight. Because if you try to fight the fish, what could happen? You could salute them, your line will snap. Pull it out of his lip or something. Let the fish fight. Because what's going to happen eventually with the fish? It's going to get tired. You feel it starting to lose its strength. Then you just reel them on in. Every one of us was born with a hook in our mouth. There are some of us who choose to swim around the boat. God's boat. Jerusalem's God's boat. When we study Torah, or we go to synagogue, or we pray, or do mitzvahs, we're like hanging around God's boat, because you never know, you might throw over a little extra bait without a hook. You already got the hook. He'll throw over a little extra bait, you'll be over there just going... I mean, seriously, you can, you can have mystical experiences. You can have mystical experiences here. And I don't think you should underestimate what a mystical experience is, by the way. I mean, I know each one of you deep down wish you could have one. But you should never underestimate mystical experiences. They say mystical experiences are correlated directly with, with the cessation of addictions. They're now figuring out how to create mystical experiences, and they have an 80% success rate at, at tobacco cessation. 80%, the highest rate they ever got was with some drug that had a 35% rate. This is almost, this is almost two and a half times that rate with one mystical experience, an induced mystical experience. Mystical experiences are available here. You have one mystical experience in your life, your fear of death, has lessened by half. You have another one by a quarter. One more, it's gone. I mean, how would you feel not to be afraid of death? How cool would that be? And there's a reason logically behind that, because once you've had a mystical experience, you realize that this world is an illusion. And so death suddenly sounds more exciting than the illusion. I mean, everyone loves craft beer and like, you know, and like sports and stuff. We all love that stuff. But once you start to really know that it's an illusion compared to what's projecting this place into existence, so a couple mystical experiences of the actual projection realms. And that's all available here. I mean, you've got to dedicate yourself. You've got to get your mind locked into Torah and, and, and start understanding a lot more about God. And, and you have to go to prayer services that are serious ones, not just people trying to fulfill their obligation, which is fine outside of Israel. But in Israel, prayer services are like 
You know, like there's many services that are ecstatic. They're long. Just to get to the bar, to get to Baruchu in my synagogue in Me'asharim, just to get to Baruchu, takes an hour and a half on Shabbos. To get to Baruchu. On, on weekdays, it's 45 minutes. In New York, you can finish the entire service in 30 minutes. And we're, we're just getting... Oh, that's my five-minute mark. We're all born with a hook in our mouth. And God reels us in. Have you ever wondered... I mean, have you guys ever thought about... Like, we all know someone, like a Jewish person, who's just, like, going the opposite direction as fast as they can. We all know people like that. Everyone knows someone like that? And you're thinking sometimes, knowing God, as you know God, obviously, that you're thinking, like, how does God put up with this guy? Like, how can anyone, how can any creator be that patient with a Jew who's, like, surgically reinstalled his foreskin? So to speak. How can God be that patient? We're not that patient with people. Parents aren't that patient with with adolescent kids going the opposite direction of the values. And what's the answer? What's the answer? There's a hook in his mouth. So while we're all freaking out, God's just like, God's got like a Budweiser in one hand, his fishing pole in the other. You know, the line's just going and going like, you know, and he's got like another, you know, couple hundred yards of line on there. You know, Eventually, the guy's going to croak. And by the way, the fish gets stuck in all kinds of seaweed on his way back. (laughs) And it ain't cool getting stuck in seaweed. I mean, I've been paddling for waves, even big waves. And I'm in position over like 30 people. And a piece of seaweed gets stuck on my leash. That's like having a, a... cinder block chained to your foot. <laughs> the seaweed's attached to the seafloor. It's not like you can ignore this because you're going to be heading down your wave when all of a sudden, whoop! You know, like the, your board's gone. So the... Uh, de- I'll tell you right now, depending on how much trouble you make in your life by going away from Jewish values is how much seaweed you'll have to cross while God reels you in. It goes on in a spiritual realm, obviously, the seaweed part. But you definitely want to clean that up. Maybe, let's put it in nicer terms, the best day to die is the day after Yom Kippur. That's kind of seaweed cleanup day. Yeah, it cleans off all the seaweed from your leash, your surfboard leash. Now, the, um, anyway, but he reels you in, and when he gets you inside this, in the boat, God asks you two questions. Question one, were you Jewish? And you know, you're showing him like I got my mom tattoo over here, and I got, you know, like I got, I did it my way. You know, you got, you like, you are the most like self-expressed Jew that has ever walked the earth. I mean, you just like Mister Self-Expression. Like you, you got thirty-foot murals that on buildings in Manhattan. You know, like of your portrait, and you are, you are Jewish. You get a a big check on Jewish. And then God asks you, but were you Jewish? And then you're you're thinking, like, I mean, uh, the way I grew up, you know, all I have to do is 
a little Havana Gila, so you tell God, like, watch this. You're doing your best. You know, you're really working up a sweat. You know, God's just like, what the hell is that? And you're like, hey, I, you know, I, oh, maybe it was the grapevine you were wanting. You know, and he's doing the grapevine dance. You know. I love it. I go to weddings these days. You know, I'll go to a Hasidic wedding, you know, in New York or something. And there's some guy who's like, you know, he's got a little purple bar mitzvah keeper from Big Bad Bobby's barbecue bar mitzvah, bar, you know, experience. And, and it's amazing. So, you know, the, the bride and groom come out and the men start dancing in a circle. And there's always one guy there, the guy with the purple velvet kippah, who's, who's doing the grapevine. You know, because he grew up like me. You know, he grew up in, I don't I think I'm doing it right. but <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Like the grapevine. Like that's what you did at bar mitzvahs when you're raised reform or conservative. That's, that's how you dance. So, God pulls the hook out of his mouth. You know what he does with that? And that soul goes into a 40-day-old fetus, according to Kabbalah. And he has to start all over again. Now, hopefully God will have mercy and put him into a home that's observant. And you may say, well, it's not fair for God to do that because the home he was raising wasn't observant. Except what? God puts inside every single Jew a Google search engine that completely is beyond any other search engine. And that is why you always find Jews as the number one Nobel Prize winners on the planet. You know, we have no, we're the highest level, of, highest amount of Nobel Prizes on earth. Is the Jewish people 0.001% of the world population. Does that make any sense? Now, by the way, the way you know this is because you have to extract all the Jews from, the, from the, Russia and the former Soviet Union. You have to extract all the Jews from the American uh, Nobel Prizes and all the Western Europe Nobel Prizes. You have to, if, and all the Israel ones. If you just extract them all, if their mothers were Jewish, and you put them in a long line, we have the most Nobel Prizes on the planet. Every Jew is born with an extremely powerful Google search engine, and being raised secular is no excuse. You understand? No excuse to show up, have God pull the hook out of your mouth and tell him, well, the way I lived my life was because my parents raised me that way. And I remember once, uh, my brother Sam, when I got to Israel and I, you know, I just totally won the Jewish lottery here and, and I joined Yeshiva like immediately and I was learning full time. And I sent, a, I sent a letter to my brother Sam. Lots of letters, actually. You, you know, there was something called letters. You'd write the stuff down on a piece of paper. You'd fold it up, put it inside this thing that they call an envelope and then you'd stamp it and just drop it off and somehow it'd wind up across the world it was like insane technology then how that thing got to the other side of the world but it would get there and I, I once sent Sam a 12 page letter where the entire 12 pages was just proofs of how we know there's a God and how we know Torah is divine meaning it couldn't have been written by humans 12 pages and at the very end of the letter I wrote back please send me a letter back on what are the underpinnings of your lifestyle out there in LA 
you know, what, are, what are your proofs for why you live the way you live? Which is how I grew up anyway. It's my brother. But I asked him, what are, your, what, what are the underpinnings of your lifestyle? And he sent me back a one-line letter. I think I still have it. You know what it just said one line? It was how we were raised. And that's not an okay answer when the hook gets pulled out of your mouth. You think God didn't know that? And God's immediately going to say, Exhibit A, your Jewish analytical Google search engine for a brain to start ripping away at the fabric of creation to get to the bottom of things. Another guy gets pulled up. He's the guy hanging out by the boat. Mr. Mitzvah guy with the pez and the black hat. He's got his cosmic dental floss out. You know, when he, when he gets pulled up out of the boat, he's flossing with his sitsis. You know, this guy is like so Jewish. Forget about it. He's like Mr. Jewish. You know, this guy, you know why his, you know why his prayer shawl has black stripes on it? It's barcode. So God knows who's praying. And God asks him the first question is, were you Jewish? And he's going to be like, God, like, do you want me to start quoting Mishnah here? Like, is the Pope Catholic? You know, like, <laughs> is the Pope Catholic? Do bears make in the woods? You know, like, the, the, of course I'm Jewish, you know, like, I was very, very Jewish. I mean, this guy's like finished shots like 10 times. He ran a kiddish club with more whiskey than anyone ever. Not, and five types of herring. He's Mr. Jewish. And then God asks him the fatal question. Were you what? Were you Jewish? And the guy's like, what's is those? <laughs> That's Yiddish for what's that? We were taught 200 years ago in the Enlightenment movement that individuality wasn't going to be important. They turned Judaism into an institutionalized system. And individuals are going to be a threat to that. I met a Hasidic couple who were mortally embarrassed that their Yiddish son, their Hasidic son, whose name was Hirsch, which is Yiddish for deer, which is English for the Hebrew word Svi, that, that he now wears a little red kippah. Still keeps Shabbat and kosher and everything, but he wears a little red kippah with the name Svi written on it. Can I tell you something about me, my life? Going to events where they gave us name tags, you guys might know what I'm talking about, Frank, you've been event name tags. What do we do with our name tag? You put it inside the suit. You know, you put it on your forehead, you know. Or you, or you don't put it. Or you you um, you put it on your knee. You know, like, like, secular people are so sick and tired of their individuality that it's like, makes them ill. And I don't want to walk around with my first name. Now, when you meet a Hasidic man or a black hat man from the Litvish world, and you ask him his name, you know what he tells you? I do this all the time. I'm like, what's your name? He says, my name's Goldstein. I'm like, Goldstein? What's your last name? He's like, Goldstein. My name's Goldstein, Goldstein? 
He's like, no, I have a first name. What is your first name? Avram. Could have guessed. His name is Avram Goldstein. Oh, okay. Nice to meet you, Avram Goldstein. But people will literally tell you their last name first, which was a traditional thing anyway, but, you know, my name is Bond, James Bond. You know, people did do that traditionally. But people's identity, societal identity, is so much stronger than their actual personal identity. And this mother, this Hasidic woman, was complaining with her arms crossed like this. She was so tight. About her grandson, sorry, her son, who's in America. And he's got the name Tzvi on his kippah. I've been to conventions for Haredi Black Hat World, and we all got name tags. You've never seen people more proud to wear their first name on their jacket. They just put it right there. And they wear it full time. I seriously think that before they go to bed at night, they take it off their suit and put it on their pajamas <laughs> in the hotel. And wake up, and they're like, you know, get themselves ready in the morning, and, and then they're uh, brushing their teeth, and they're looking in the mirror, you know, and then they put it back on their suit jacket. And I, mean, I really think they take it off at the airport in Las Vegas. Or not even there, I think they fly home with it just so the stewardess can call them by their first name as well. And then they take it off like as they pull up their driveway in Brooklyn. They finally take it off. Because it's for them, you wish is like a breath of fresh air. But you ain't going to find nobody putting their name on their keeper unless they're from that world. Unless they're from that world where they had to get their name on their keeper because they were just trying to let everybody know there's a, there's a tzvi in here. There's a deer inside this person. And that deer wants to leap and it wants to run and it wants to be free and it wants to express and it wants to create and it wants to, it wants to make a difference and it wants to love and it wants to choose. It wants to express. So, my friends, my dear brothers and sisters, my children, Make sure you got both going on so that when God pulls you up onto the boat, you can put a check by Jewish and you can put a check by Jewish. For many of you to get that Jewish one checked, you're going to have to study some Torah. That's a big horse pill to swallow, which means you may have to change your flight. It's a big horse pill to swallow. It means you've got to make some serious decisions. And you should know if your parents fight you on it. I remember my parents fought me on mine. And they finally fought so hard that I was literally going to get up and call a travel agent when a rabbi looked at me and said, you look really upset. And I'm like, I am. And I tell him the whole story how my father's like sending me faxes. There was something called a fax where he was going to burn my surfboards if I don't come home. (laughs) Seriously. That one faded. The fax paper faded. But you know what the guy said to me? He said, if your parents had any idea what you're doing for them in this world and the next... They would chain you to this yeshiva table. They would chain you to it. People, they, would, they would hire people to bring you food so you never got up and all you did was study the wisdom of Torah. Their ignorance of the importance of Torah study is why they want you back, but it's going to hurt them in the end. And I would not want to be them showing up upstairs and getting shown this little film, this little clip of how they pulled their own child out of yeshiva. 
Whatever you do, don't leave. And you want to know something? I never understood something he said. I only understood the next world. Why that's good for my parents. I didn't understand why he said this and the next until my parents flew home from a trip to Israel once. And I asked him, so how was coming back? They said, it was good, but a little uncomfortable. I'm like, what's uncomfortable? They were both on the phone. They said, we can't tell our friends the nachas we get from you and your children and our grandchildren singing Shalom Aleichem and escorting us home and doing everything for us, honoring us like no grandparents have ever been honored in the history of the world, at least in our West L.A. upbringing. We can't even tell anyone because we don't want to rub it in their faces that we're the only ones getting nachas in a no-nachas generation. And then they thank me for that. And then they apologize for the hell they put me through. And then I finally understood this rabbi when he said, if you had any idea what you're giving your parents in this world and the next, they would chain you to a table if they only understood what they stand to gain by you studying Torah here. Shalom, everyone. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.